Perfect Stranglers contains graphic and explicit content suitable for mature listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Stranglers, this is Kylie and I'm Bray, and welcome to the show, guys. So, we record really far ahead of time, so I'm gonna talk about Black Widow, and you guys are gonna be like, That just came out, but I saw Black Widow last night, and it was so good. Like, compare it to the other Marvel movies. Here's what I liked about it is in other Marvel, Marvel movies and other superhero movies. The women are over-sexualized every single time. Mm-hmm. Every single time. And it, that wasn't the case in this one, like, at all. The women were fighting just like they would film a man. There wasn't, like, gratuitous booby shots. There was, like, a couple butt shots of Scarlett Johansson, but she was in, like... No, it, they were following her behind her to show what she was doing, so it wasn't, like overtly ass shot you know what i mean and yeah. it was just so good i cried within the first 15 minutes of it <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah the fighting scenes are really good the storyline was really good um i would say it's black panther would be my second favorite i would mm-hmm. say this is probably my favorite but i've also been waiting for a black widow movie for like what a decade now so yeah it was so good. Yeah. It was just so good. Awesome. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. It was, and I went by myself to the movies, which I fucking love doing. No one's there to bother me. I had like the entire front section all to myself. No one was there because no one's going to movies yet. Although they can, no one's going. Right. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was fantastic. I've been to a couple so far, um, but uh, I haven't seen Black Widow. Um, I've never been to a movie alone. You need every seems like it would be kind of everyone cool. needs to experience going to a movie. Do stuff alone, guys. Everyone just do stuff alone. It is so nice because it makes you comfortable being in your own company. Like if you don't like your own company, yeah. how else is someone else supposed to like your company? You know what I mean? Right. Just go to a movie alone because it's dark, it's quiet, there's snacks, you can't be on your phone, and no one's <laughs> bothering you. What is better than that? And you're watching, hopefully, a really good movie. Right. There's... Uh, and there are a lot of really good movies out right, right. now. Like, in, like, the summer movies. Yeah. yeah. There is nothing better to me than picking up some food, getting a little snacky snack, maybe sneaking it into the movie theater, watching a movie alone, and then afterwards maybe stopping at, like, a frozen yogurt shop for dessert on your way home. And you have, like, your own little date night. And it's so fun. That sounds I lovely. Know, maybe I just like being alone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to listen to anyone tell me what to do. <laughs> it's nice. Uh, yeah. Um. Also, Arvilly's birthday's coming up, right? And I got her that Spider-Man costume because she fucking loves Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. She's so cute in it. Such a she only refers to herself in the third person. Like, can Spider-Man do this? Can Spider-Man do that? Can Spider-Man have some water? Can Spider-Man watch Scooby-Doo? Yes, Spider-Man can. But I also need to dress up because, like, of course. And so I decided that I'm going to be Black Widow 
And I finally convinced her that I can be Black Widow because she wanted me to be Hulk or Hulk smashes, she said. And I'm like, I'm not being a green monster. It's not happening. So I bought the Black Widow. <laughs> she really wanted me to be Hulk. And then she's like, can you be, or you can be Iron Man. I was like, I don't want to be Iron Man. That's not my favorite superhero. I want to be Black Widow. And she's like, well, Black Widow's a boy. And I said, first off, Black Widow's a girl. Second off, I can be boy or girl, whoever I want to be. You're being Spider-Man. I'm going to be Black Widow. So I bought the costume from Party City and the way they do it, they don't account for tall bitches, okay? So the sizing, I got a size large and because I'm like five, just over 5'9". So the weight requirement and the size, like size 10, 12 or whatever requirement fit me, but the height requirement didn't. It was for people that are 5'8". And I'm like, okay, do I do this or do I size up and get the extra large where it's going to be like baggy on me, but the height would work. It's like, whatever. So I got it. And I can definitely, it's like in a one-piece swimsuit where you can feel it like pulling on your shoulders. It's like a rubber yeah. band that's about to snap you back down. It's pretty, I can yeah. feel it tugging on my shoulders. But the material is so thin. And so the front panel, the front of it has like all of the designs on it that she would have on her suit. The black is just a, a black panel, basically. It is transparent. Oh. You could see my ass. I was like, oh my God. So I don't know what to do. I'm just going to maybe have to get some bike shorts and put it underneath or something. Yeah, yeah that'll yeah. work. But I was not expecting it to, to be that off, I guess. You know? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, maybe I should have spent more than 40 bucks on a Black Widow costume. Uh, yeah, I don't. The, costumes are expensive. For no reason. For no freaking reason. Right. Because they're so, like, cheaply made and stuff. Yeah. Exactly. And, like, I know that you're... I'm just paying for the Marvel brand. Like, I know that. Right. Like, yeah. We have a costume store here. And it's called, like, Crazy Costumes or something like that. And it's spelled with a... Both name... Both words are spelled with a K. And I went in there with mm -hmm. her to get her Spider-Man costume. Because you can't find costumes unless you go online. Like, right. during... So is that a like a year round? Yes. Costume shop? So you can rent rent okay. legit costumes from them, or buy costumes. Right. Okay. And they had a Black Widow costume that was like the thick, thick fabric that someone from a cosplay convention, like who really goes all out, probably gave to them. Um, mm -hmm. And they had the Spider Man costume that she needed. They had so many different costumes that I would not even expect. Like I've always wondered. Where do people from, like, who do Renaissance fairs get their outfits and stuff like that? It's from places like that. And there are, like, masks everywhere. They had, mm -hmm. like, hundreds and hundreds of pieces of costume jewelry. It was such a cool... That would be really... It was... Yeah, that would be really fun to it look It was through. such a cool store. It's like going to Goodwill and looking through their costume section only a hundred times better. Because it's costumes that are actually all put together, not just random pieces. And they're just, mm -hmm. out, they're just out there. They're just out there. They had all the costumes for Scooby-Doo. They had, like, Roman soldier costumes that were legit. It was so cool. Nice, with, like, armor yes! and stuff. It was so fucking cool. Like, I would, I would wear a costume a day if I could. Just to dress <laughs> up. Like, I should do cosplay. Really. But I'm, the only one I'm into is Black Widow, so. Yeah. Yeah. So... I've thought about um, doing like Sailor Moon. 
you should do Sailor Moon or something. I support this. <laughs> you should do Sailor Moon. You know what? I started watching rewatching Sailor Moon. I used to watch Sailor Moon when I was a kid, but I started rewatching it. It's on Hulu. And I believe it's the third episode. I absolutely hate hate it. Hate the episode Why? because it is um it's like how to be skinny or something <gasps> like that. Yeah, so this show is made for like middle school girls and like Sailor Moon's family is like telling her that like, oh, you've gained weight. You should and obviously she's like very thin. Right. Like the cartoon is very thin. Like they're like, You you've gained weight. You need to go on a diet. And they're like and like the entire the theme of the entire episode is like losing weight and exercising and staying skinny and stuff i'm like oh my god what the fuck when did sailor moon come did out? i see this as a kid yeah when did sailor moon come out 80s is that an 80s show um probably i that's a good question because diet culture in like not so much the 70s but like definitely the 80s with like jazzercise and shit in the 90s when they had all those like thin thin supermodels and even into the 2000s with like mm-hmm. like britney spears and christina so- aguilera and jessica simpson all those girls were called fat back then i and know it's like they were I, that, not they were not all. no that it really affected me as a yes, kid same sailor moon um is early 90s okay. like very early okay 90s. so that makes sense so yeah i mean yeah you saw that as a kid i remember seeing shows like that as a kid I remember, I remember the episode of um, Saved by the Bell with Jesse Spano, how she was, like, trying to study and get, like, perfect grades and all that, and she was on caffeine pills, and yeah. yes, I remember that one. <laughs> that was a ridiculous y- episode. Yep, that was, but, God, there's, like, such bad, bad stuff being portrayed on TV at that time to young kids. Right. Really bad messages. Yeah. That they i don't know what they're if i i don't know what those people were thinking honestly i have no idea but i hate it kids don't need to worry about that kind of stuff no but i hate it and i'm glad that that's hopefully shifting away um so we have uh, some housework to do we have a few things so this episode is coming out august 12th so your stranglers here we're gonna be taking a little bit of a summer vacay we're gonna be taking a few weeks off you'll have this episode and the episode next week and then um the last week of august and the first couple weeks of september there are gonna be no perfect stranglers episodes because we have lives and we want to have some fun on uh during the summer and so that's what we're going to do um, and we know that you'll miss us just as much as we'll miss you, but we will be back on September 18th or sorry, September 16th with our one year anniversary episode. And it's going to be good. And it's going to be like Stranglers 2.0 and it's just, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to come back all nice and refreshed and to go for another round. Should we have seasons? Should that be season two? Yeah, I think it should. It makes, I think that would be a nice yeah, reset. It makes us sound Right. It makes us sound really like 
accomplished. Yes, season one. Okay, so we're wrapping up (laughs) Perfect Stranglers season one here, the end of August. Season two, we're going to come back better than ever. Um, and it's going to be super fun and I'm really excited to record the episode of, um, our one year anniversary episode because I don't know, it's just going to be really fun, but yeah, so that's that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's that on that. Um, and then (laughs) (laughs) what else do we do? We do housekeeping. You guys, we love that you've listened to us all through season one. Our podcast has grown quite a bit since we started doing regular episodes. Like we're almost at 4,000 downloads. Like we're just That's we're just like cool. almost there, which is really exciting. Um, so please go ahead and rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Give us that spot five star rating. Um, drop us a line, as we would say. It really helps us <laughs> get noticed by people who love the true crime genre. And follow us on our social medias. Facebook is at Perfect Stranglers, a true crime podcast. Instagram is at Perfect underscore Stranglers. And Twitter is at Perf Stranglers. And keep on sending us your listener stories. We've got quite a few that we're going to be um, unloading on you here in a little bit. Um, A couple episodes. And uh, we love to hear it. And we know it takes a lot of time to write in those stories. So we very much appreciate you guys taking the time to do that. Bree. You can also send us, um, like, a voice message, if that's easier. You can. How would they do that? Yeah. Uh, they would just record it on their phone, and then they, you could email it. <gasps> yeah, uh, that would be fun. The audio file to us. <gasps> that would be so fun, because yeah. then we could hear your voice inflections. Oh, my God, that would be so fun. Record your story to us and send it to us in an audio file, and then I'll transcribe it down. Um what you say and then i'll read it but then i'll know your voice inflections and i'll give the same enthusiasm as you do <gasps> god that would be so That'd fun be cool. okay now i have my mind is just spinning okay guys uh let's 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 get serious here for a second because i've got a pretty heavy case wait first oh. i have one more oh yeah one more housekeeping okay. note so you may notice stranglers that nicole is not on this uh episode and she hasn't been on our uh, some of our past episodes. Uh, she loves being on our episodes and uh, chatting with us and sharing with you all. But you know what she loves even more? She loves editing our episodes and making us sound amazing. So she is electing to um, concentrate on that more and... Don't worry, you haven't heard the last of Nicole because she's going to be our special recurring guest on Perfect Stranglers. So, you know, she Nicole may not be on this episode or uh, some of our past episodes, but rest assured that she will be back. The <gasps> will be back. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, Nicole will be back on like a really big heavy hitter episodes where we do like, you know, the really big ones. Like if we did like Gein or uh, the co-ed killer or Dahmer or I don't know, the Unabomber, Israel Keys, Albert Fish, all that type of stuff. You know, the big ones. She'll be back for those because, you know, those are the big ones that we need a <gasps> reaction. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Are we ready to get into it? Okay. Yeah, what do you got today? So I am doing... So we know the Pacific Northwest is just all kinds of fucked up. 
And I am doing a case that I didn't know how bad it was until I started researching it. And he's an a relatively unknown serial killer, and he should be a lot more known than he is. I am doing what's called the Shoe Fetish Slayer. His name is Jerry Brudos. Okay. Yes, the Shoe Fetish Slayer. Shoe Fetish. Not foot. Shoe. <laughs> All right. So, Mr. Jerry Brudos. He was born in uh, January of 1930. Or, sorry, my God. See, we can't even. I've only had one cup of coffee, guys remix <laughs> rewind okay so jerry brudos was born on january 31st in 1939 in south dakota he was the second son of harry and eileen brudos his family moved around a couple times when he was growing up they spent some time in california in south dakota where he was born but they ultimately ended up in a suburb of salem oregon do you say oregon or oregon 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 I'm going to try and say Yeah, Oregon. it's Oregon. Okay, I'm going to say Oregon for the rest of it, and if I don't, I am... Somebody from Oregon once I said Oregon, because, like, Oregon Trail. Yeah. Right? So... <gasps> That's one um, of those other ones where you live in Oregon, but you play the Oregon Trail! Exactly, <gasps> yes. So, uh, somebody from Oregon um, corrected me on that. They're like, say Michigan. Okay, now say Oregon. Oh, my God. Michigan, Oregon. That's how you're supposed to say it. I-G-A-N... <laughs> But Michigan is M-I-C-H-I-G-A-N, and Oregon is G-O-N. O-N, yeah. Oregon. Oregon. Okay. I don't buy that. <laughs> fucking whatever. <laughs> I, don't, I don't buy it, but I'll appease you. Okay. So he was the youngest of two boys. Uh, Jerry had a really strained relationship with his mom. His mom was extremely overbearing, which is a common theme among these killers, is having an overbearing parent, especially mother figure. Um, initially his mother didn't even want a second child, but then she got pregnant and accepted her fate of being pregnant, being struck in by pregnancy once more. And she was hoping, I hate when people say I've fallen pregnant, right? <laughs> I've fallen like... pregnant. Like whatever, dude. It's, it's, I just don't <laughs> understand. Anyway. So she was hoping for a daughter and she had a second son, which she wasn't cool with. And Eileen was just Jerry was a disappointment fresh out of the womb. She just was disappointed in him from the get-go. And Jerry's existence mm -hmm. quickly translated into pretty open hostile, host, hostility towards him. She was very domineering, very critical of everything he did. But she was very warm and approving of his older brother, Larry. So we got Larry and Jerry. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yep. Um, as a kid, Jerry also suffered from fungal infections so bad in his fingers and his toes. He actually had to have multiple surgeries to fix it. He had ballooned veins in his legs, which required a couple more surgeries. He had the measles. He had um, pockmarks in his face from measles and likely pimples as he got older. He had constant sore throats and he often got migraines so bad that he would vomit all the time. So, Ugh. yes. So on top of just not being loved by his family, he had all of these other things happening to him and it just wasn't good. He was also a very big freckled redhead, which can relate. So it just like was a shitstorm. And in can I just yeah let's say one note about being a redhead? Yeah, I'm not I'm not a redhead, but. I feel like it's more socially acceptable to be a female 100%. redhead than it is to be a male redhead. It is. Yep. Like, it's seen almost as a female or feminine 
thing. So it's like, it's, I don't know. That's yeah. my perception that is what, of society. As a fellow redhead, and I think Nicole are, what are the odds that we'd have two gingers on a podcast? Beating the odds, we are the 2%. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, I totally, I totally see that. Being a female redhead is, one, it's fetishized a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had people ask to touch my hair, especially when we would have foreign exchange students from um, like Asian countries. When I was in high school, uh-huh. they would ask to touch my hair. And it's very much like, my mom for what like my mom and my sister would color their hair red which was weird my sister cut off all of my curls when i was two because she was jealous of my red curls she was 11 (laughs) yeah um and people are protective of your red hair if you color your red hair it's like how dare you people pay a lot of money to have that hair color and it's just like you can't touch it but yeah and i had my for my hair we're gonna get on tangent for a second i had my hair color red for a long time after I was done with beauty school and doing hair and stuff, I grew up my natural hair color. I recently colored it till it's like purple and like platinum or whatever. But I decided that I am not my fucking hair color. And like that was a like people think you are you your identity is your hair color when you're a redhead. And it's kind of fucked yeah. up. And it's kind of fucked up. And then they use it as an excuse. They kind of also think that as an identity like if you're blonde as well yes like you're ditzy yeah yep yep yeah red hair is weird it's like coveted and people like people want it and if you change it it's like how dare you and then people use Mm -hmm. it use it as an excuse to say wow you're fiery you're a redhead well that must be that redhead coming out like when you have an attitude and it's like no i'm just a fucking bitch because of your actions (laughs) because of your actions and the way you're treating me you have caused my reaction to be like this it's not my hair color Right. Yeah. Or Mercury in retrograde. That too. My God, that too. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, redhead tangent over. So I had to get that off my chest. A little bit of therapy here on a morning. Morning of perfect stranglers. Anyway, so uh, Jerry's fetish. Okay, so Jerry's fetish for women's shoes began when he was only five years old after he found a pair of patent leather stiletto heels decorated with rhinestones while he was playing in a junkyard. So this was in the Sound cute. So this was in the 40s. So this would be like mm-hmm. early, early mid 40s. Um, when his mom saw that he brought those home, she told Jerry that he was, quote, wicked for liking the shoes. She then became like absolutely enraged and screamed at him and told him that he better take those back to the dump. Uh, Jerry tried to hide the shoes from her, but she found out that he didn't get rid of them and that he had been like walking. He was very proud of them when he first walked into the uh, walked into the house with him he put them on and he was like strutting his stuff around showing her the shoes that he found because you're a five-year-old boy and it's a shiny object and of course it's fun you know what I mean right and uh he so she found out that he did not get rid of them he had been hiding them so she took them from him told him that he was a dirty boy a bad boy which back then like I feel dirty I feel dirty saying that <laughs> you're a dirty boy like I feel weird saying that but I don't know maybe that's just our modern thinking of like in the gutter I don't know isn't that weird do you know what I'm saying like if I say you're a dirty boy you're a bad boy like back then that's shameful now it's like a weird thing it's like 
perverted dominatrix yes yes but back then it was like no you're dirty you're bad what are you doing and anyway so she took the shoes and she burned them right in front of him oh my god yes that's (laughs) wow yeah what an appropriate response right she was just a fucking bitch not sorry she was a bitch so her reaction to him playing with his shoes and then him watching her burn them right in front of him because this is like some this was the first object he was like i love this for some reason like i love this uh it triggered something in him that day and from that point on he rapidly developed an obsession for women's footwear so at this point in America, the term serial murder or serial killer had not been invented or like coined yet. However, this was like really close around the time of when the term would be invented of when Jerry was active um, later on down the road. So Jerry Brudos is actually featured in the Mindhunter book. It's one of the case studies that they did because he's like a perfect case study on how your childhood affects how you act later on in life mm-hmm. um he and they featured him in like the Mindhunter tv show and whatever so criminal profilers speculate that when those shoes were burned in front of him jerry's sexuality or what was emerging as his sexuality as he was beginning to explore it um got mixed with feelings of aggression and hatred which later manifested itself as first rape and assault and then eventually murder so it like triggered this weird sexual aggression in him and that is fucking scary to me to think like what there is a there could be one single defining moment that happens as a kid where you don't think it's a big deal but it's a big deal to them and that can affect how they think things for the rest of their life yeah like that's terrifying and it's like be gentle on kids their brain is still forming just be fucking gentle you know right so after this incident, he lo- no longer had the shoes that he wanted. So he knew even at five years old, he needed to get his fix elsewhere for these shoes. He found out that his first grade teacher kept an extra pair of shoes in her desk. So when she was out of the classroom one day, he attempted to steal them and hide them away from him. But one of his classmates found the shoes a few days later and ratted him out. His teacher wasn't so much mad as she was confused as to why he would even steal her shoes in the first place. And this left him feeling utterly humiliated and that just added insult to injury because he keeps finding things that he likes and then gets humiliated by liking these objects. Mm -hmm. So throughout his childhood, he really only had two friends. Um, It was an older woman that was a neighbor that lived near him. And when I say older, I mean like probably 40s. And I got a lot of my information okay. from, he like did a full confession and there was books and books on him. So I read a lot of that information. I read like a lot of books on him and he, a lot of this stuff is like what he said in those books. Um, so he really had two friends. It was an older woman that was a neighbor that lived near him and he saw her as more of a mother figure than he ever saw his own mom. But this woman ended up getting too sick to have anyone over her caretaker wouldn't let anyone come over at a certain point she ended up dying of diabetes and then there was a younger girl that was more around his age and he was close friends with her um, when he was about five or six and she ended up dying of tuberculosis so these two females Uh in his life died within the same year and throughout the rest of his life he would consistently talk about these two females and connect them with his mom because he saw all three of these women as females who abandoned him so oh, no. for a five or six year old that forms your relationship with women pretty early of 
having abandonment issues. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So one night when Jerry was in the first grade, his parents invited their neighbors over. And while the neighbors were over, their teenage daughter was feeling a little bit under the weather, which in 1940s speak was she had her period and she needed to go lay down, I guess, is what it was. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so she went upstairs and she, she laid down in, the, in one of the beds. And while she was laying there, she was sleeping. Jerry walked into the bedroom and she still had her shoes on and they were high heels. So while she was sleeping, he attempted to slide her shoes off, but she woke up, freaked the fuck out, yelled at him to get out of the bedroom. And this was considered his first big escalation where he went from finding shoes to stealing shoes to actually physically touching someone without their consent to get their shoes, which is a pretty big escalation for a preschooler. Yeah. Or a kindergartner. So during all of this, Jerry found a friend who he thought was into the same things that he was. So uh, he was a little bit older now, and the Brutus family moved next door to a family with a couple of teenage daughters, and Jerry and the girl's younger brother would sneak into the girl's bedroom and play with their clothes. They would try them on, think that they're being funny, like, oh, look at me, I'm a girl. But Jerry was, like, into it. Not like the other boy was into it, but Jerry was, like, into it, you know what I mean? And these are things that little boys do. They like, you know, they're allowed to explore their sexuality and their femininity or their masculinity. So it's a, it's normal, but not for Jerry. It seemed innocent, but basically he was panty raiding the drawer and trying to steal her underwear. And this was also his first experience with cross-dressing. And at that time, he said... At that time, it didn't give him any, like, sexual feelings, but he did later say in interviews that it did make him feel a little bit funny. So he, I think that Uh he wasn't sure what that feeling was, but it was edging on a sexual satisfaction from it. Yeah. So when he was 17, he abducted and beat, this is a little bit later now, when he was 17, he abducted and beat a young woman. He was threatening to stab her if she did not follow his sexual commands. He did this by knocking on her door. She was home alone. Um, in the 50s or whatever, he knocked on her door, told her that he was an undercover police officer assigned to catch a neighborhood panty thief because by the time when he was younger, up until now, he was panty raiding people's drawers, like peeping Tom, stalking girls, like trying to steal shoes, all of that. Like he was doing that throughout this whole time. And so this is going to be the next escalation. So he... (laughs) He acted like he was an undercover police officer assigned to catch the neighborhood panty thief. And he was a really big teenager. He looked much older than he was. So this was, you know, he was passable as maybe a young police officer. Jerry told her to come over to his house when nobody was home so they could discuss the panty thieving further. So when she got to his house, he took her upstairs into an empty bedroom, and she stood there confused for a few seconds before Jerry jumped out of the closet wearing a mask with a knife, demanded that she strip naked, and when she was standing there naked, terrified in front of him, he took tons of pictures of her, an entire camera roll's worth of pictures of this naked teenage girl. Oh, wow. When he was done, he left the room and she quickly and very disheveledly got dressed and started running down the stairs. As she was running, Jerry came around the corner pretending to breathe heavily without the mask on saying that there was someone in the house with a mask that he was locked up in the barn by this person and he had just escaped. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Which sounds like a, a plan that, you know, a young child would come up with. Right. Like Home Alone. Yep. 
yeah. type shit. <laughs> the girl was smarter than this, though, thank God. She knew Jerry was lying, but she didn't report it at the time because she had a really big fear of retaliation if he ever found out that she said something. Mm-hmm. So he had thought he'd gotten away with it. So eight months later, in 1956, uh, Jerry convinced a girl from school to let him give her a ride home. But instead of driving home, he ended up driving her into the middle of nowhere, forced her to get out of the car and strip naked. She refused to strip and started um, like fighting, and he started beating her. Luckily, a couple was driving um, driving by at the time and saw all of this going down. So they stopped, and Jerry said his first excuse was that the girl had fallen out of the car and had gotten hurt. The couple didn't believe him. He then said a weirdo came by and beat her up, and he arrived just in time. They didn't believe that either. <laughs> and so they made him get in their car. They drove him to their house, and they called the police on him. From there, the police ended up arresting him. They searched the house that he was living in with his parents, and they found all of the pictures he had taken from his first victim, along with a lot, a lot, a lot, boxes of panties and shoes from women that he had been collecting, which is gross. So what's interesting is, is when Jerry was caught later on down the road, he still had all of the panties and underwear that he had taken as a child and into teenage years. So it's unclear as to whether the cops gave all of these back after this incident or if he had a second stash that the cops never found after this first arrest. But Mm. so when he was arrested later on, he had like decades worth of panties. Wow. Yeah. So after Mm. he was arrested and after the arrest, Jerry was taken to a psychiatric hospital. He was there for nine months. There he was diagnosed with something, but it's debated on what he was diagnosed with. Some reports state he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and, quote, extreme misogyny. And other sources (laughs) say he was... uh, that's a mental illness because I, I submit that it is. I, I don't know what the DSM-5 <laughs> says nowadays, but back then apparently it was. I don't know. Um, other sources say he was diagnosed with depression and, quote, questionable judgment and hindsight. Which, uh-huh. yep, yep. I, say, I would say all four of those <laughs> fit the bill. Uh, doctors determined he had no homicidal tendency, tendencies, though, just a sexual deviation. So because of that, he was allowed to still go to high school during the day and would go back into the psychiatric hospital at night, and he eventually managed to graduate from high school in 1957. So Jerry was so much of a loner and pretty much a ghost to everyone that no one noticed what happened, no one noticed that he was in school and then going to a psychiatric hospital. Later on, one of his public defenders it was found out that one of his public defenders actually graduated with him in high school and in, was in one of his classes, and the defender had no fucking clue who he was. No clue at all. He was that much of, like, a ghost. Oh, wow. Like, no one cared about him and knew who he was. Even someone who was in class with him for a year, no clue. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's sad. It's, it's really sad, yeah. So he attended college for um, a little bit after high school, And he briefly wanted to be an electrician. He never really stuck with it at that point. He wasn't a very good student. So at the age of 20, he joined the military. 
He was only in the military for seven months. He was discharged because he was having bizarre dreams and just being really fucking creepy. He was telling everyone about his dreams. For example, he believed that a Korean woman was sneaking into his bunk every night and trying to get in bed with him. And he did not understand why other people weren't having these experiences. So he was not fit for the military mentally and was discharged. After that, he ended up moving back into his parents' house where he lived in that house for a little bit, but then good old Larry moved back in with the parents as well, and Jerry was forced to then live out in the shed where he lived in dark darkness. He boarded up all of the windows in this tiny shed. He just lived in a dark box. That's when he kind of started to really spiral. He started stalking more women on the women on the regular. He would knock them down. He would choke them into unconsciousness, and then he would steal their shoes or undergarments. Um, he would then take those shoes home, and he would sleep with them. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, also, during this time, he did end up going back to school. He became an electrician, and he eventually was an engineer for a radio station. So he wasn't on the radio, but he did like behind the scenes shit. Four years later, while he was working at this job, a young kid introduced them, introduced him to a 17-year-old girl, and uh, he liked this girl. I'm because betting this is a mistake. It's It gets interesting from here. <laughs> um, so he liked this girl because she was very submissive, very shy, very, like, kind of standoffish, and she was the first woman in his life that he actually felt comfortable enough to approach in a normal human way instead of seeing them as something that has shoes. His parents, <laughs> okay. yeah, or sorry, her parents absolutely hated him. They ended up dating for a short period of time. Her parents hated him, thought he was shady, thought he was creepy, and for like a little recap on age here, at this point, Jerry was 24 and she was 17. So there was a six-year age difference. Yeah. which you, Yeah, that's a big age difference when you're 17. Yes. Yeah. So Darcy was her name. She ended up getting pregnant very quickly and they got married after knowing each other for only six weeks. Mm. Bad call, guys. Bad call. Um, to a guy that lives in a shed for yes for a guy that lives in a giant freckled redhead who lives in a shed and has sexual deviancies nice catch yeah so like i'm not sure how darcy's upbringing was i never got into that i'm not sure if she had a a a bad father figure i don't really know but throughout this story you guys are going to be like what the fuck darcy like what the fuck i'm assuming uh, right off the bat, I'm assuming she has a self-esteem issue. Big time. Of some type. Yeah. You're going to be like, what the fuck? So their household was very odd. They were naked all the time. All the time. Okay. But then Jerry started taking pictures of her. First, he would make her pose naked in black heels while she was doing dishes or laundry, all of that. He would force her to wear heels naked while she was doing housework, which is such a misogynistic 1950s thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he asked her to hop on their kid's tricycle naked with her boobs hanging over the handlebars so he could take pictures. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and in another picture, she had a pair of pantyhose over her face, looking like an old school robber. So her face was all distorted and smushed. And he was taking pictures of that. And he like okay, got that's off strange. on it. All Very while strange. all of these pictures, all of this nakedness, weird nakedness is happening. 
she was also trying to take care of their firstborn daughter, firstborn child, which was the daughter because she hadn't had a kid at this point. So Darcy eventually started standing up for herself, tearing, telling Jerry that the house was obviously over-sexualized. She didn't like having to wear heels all the time. It hurt her feet. It hurt her back. Like, stop it, Jerry. And so he got upset and depressed from her actually, like, finally sticking up for herself. And he would ease this depression by ramping up the panty rating once more and stealing shoes to help his mood. He also found that he, when he would get migraines, because he still had them, going panty rating and assaulting young women helped with his migraines. How? I don't know. The only, the only thing I can think of, one, it's a distraction. And two, maybe the dopamine, the adrenaline rush would help ease. Yeah the symptoms i suppose i suppose yeah 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 i mean i i i don't know <laughs> it's just he's so fucked up so he didn't acknowledge his daughter whatsoever he acted like she was a non-entity just like he was kind of treated and he resented her he didn't care about her at all he didn't talk to her he he at, pretended she didn't exist but when Darcy became pregnant once more, he really hoped that they would have a son so he could treat his son just like his mom treated him. And during the birth, ugh, yeah, yeah, he was, when I say he was fucked up, guys, from the, and he had a shitty childhood, whatever, from the, every, people have shitty childhoods, okay? They don't all end up like this. So right. during the birth of their second kid, Darcy said that she didn't want him so Darcy said that she didn't want him to see other people, quote, playing with her. So he wasn't allowed in the room when she was giving birth. And this really upset him. So she also had a really messed up view in sexuality as well. Because you're giving yeah. birth. No one's, quote, playing with you, Darcy. After and the birth of their son. No. What were you going to say? No, I no, nothing. no words. <laughs> no words for that. No. <laughs> Same. <laughs> so after the birth of their second kid, who was a son, his name was Jason, Darcy became disgusted with Jerry by the way he was acting about the birth. He was obsessed and jealous of the birthing team for getting to touch her. And he was still wanting her to be naked all the time. And she was like, fucking stop it, Jer. So she stopped all sexual contact with him. In 1967, their family moved just outside Portland, Oregon. Oregon, Michigan, Portland, Oregon. <laughs> and it was here where Jerry said that he had an event that, quote, sent him over the edge. So while he was doing electrical work, because he was an electrician at this point, he was shocked with an insane amount of electricity while he was working on something in a home. And it was enough to blow this. He was six foot one, well over 200 pounds. He was a massive man. And this blow was enough to, to shoot him across the room and it snapped his head like back like you'd get like whiplash um, yeah. from the force of being jolted backwards. And yeah. he says there he says that that is what really sent him over the edge into this shit spiral we're going to talk about. He later said that it was hypoglycemia that sent him over the edge and he would do the stuff we're going to talk about to help ease that. I don't know. Um, but I did find in one study that links behavioral and psychiatric um, changes with electrical shocks over 120 volts. He was likely mm -hmm. hit with a lot more of that. It's not an excuse because he was obviously already fucked up in the head. But maybe this assisted in the escalation. Also, I was struck with about 300 million volts. And I feel like that explains a lot about my life. 
That would be interesting to explore. I know. I know. Not today. I I read that because I heard a couple couple, um, references that I got this from referenced that article. And I was like, huh, I wonder if that really, I wonder if getting struck by lightning messed me up. Like, I really do wonder, like, would I be well, different? I, would I be mentally different today if I had not got struck in by lightning? I mean, yes, because you wouldn't have that trauma. That's true. But I know what you're trying to say. Yeah. And um, I mean, like, they... Because it rewires <sighs> your brain. Like, you're literally well, they, and re- rewired. It, yeah, and you're uh, they do, like, electric shock therapy in... Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure that they still do that yeah. to some degree um, in, like, psychiatric hospitals and things like that. So it's, that's a, a legitimate thing. Yeah. I, I I saw that and I, like, had to stop researching. After I read that, that's when I was like, okay, I need to go see, go stop this research for a second. I wouldn't sell Black Widow <laughs> because it creeped <laughs> me out a little bit, you know? It did. Um, so after Darcy started sticking up for herself after having kids... Um, all of this stuff happened. He started escalating his stalking into something a lot more severe. So at this point, Jerry thought that he just wanted shoes to get off on shoes and women's panties. Um, he thought he just wanted to rape women and physically assault them, grab their shoes and run and like go jack off to shoes. I don't know. Um, so one day before the accident with the electricity happened, he was walking around looking for a victim and he ended up stalking whoever was on the street that day that had the prettiest shoes. That's who he ended up following. He followed her home. So he knew where she lived. And that night when she was sleeping, he was just watching her sleep. And after he watched her sleep for a little bit, he strangled her until she was unconscious and he ended up raping her. It was at that point he finally realized exactly what he was looking for, a dead body to use as his own sex doll. He liked the heaviness of her unconscious body. He liked the weight of it. He liked the limpness of it. That was it for him. That like a light bulb clicked. I want a dead body and I'm going to get myself dead bodies. So he took her shoes and kept them while, while she was unconscious, like raped her, snagged her shoes, ran while she was laying there unconscious. Um, and those eventually became his favorite pair of shoes that he kept. He also began having fantasies after that, after, after that in the electrical incident, he ended up having fantasies about killing women, keeping their bodies in a freezer and being able to use them for his own sexual urges whenever he pleased. After he understood exactly what he wanted, the killings began. Between January 26th of 1968 and April 23rd, 1969, Jerry killed or attempted to kill the following women. So Linda Slauson, she was 19. She was a door-to-door encyclopedia saleswoman, <laughs> which I just fucking Cute. love. Um So she knocked on Jerry's door in January of 1968 looking for a particular address that, so it was raining out, she got off the bus, had a piece of paper with an address written on it. The address kind of smudged, so she knew she was in the right area. So she went up to the first house she saw, which, bad luck on her part, and um, Jerry acted like he knew exactly what she was talking about and proceeded to lure her into the basement while his mother and children were upstairs in the house. He knocked her out with a wooden plank in the back of the head and then proceeded to strangle her to death. 
He then went upstairs while her body was laying in the basement and told his mom to take the kids out for some dinner. As soon as they left, he went downstairs. When he was downstairs, he heard some walking upstairs. He went up and his buddy Ned came over because he had a key to the place and just wanted to fucking hang out. So Jerry chatted up Ned for about 10 minutes trying to remain calm and he wasn't freaking out that he killed someone. He was on an adrenaline rush and wanted to get downstairs and play with his plaything is why he was actually freaking out. So he was trying to remain calm. He told Ned that he was making nitroglycerin in the basement and needed to concentrate. Ned said, yeah, sure, bud, go ahead, and left. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Just casually. Just casually. Nitro- you're okay. making nitroglycerin. Okay, yeah. Have fun with that, bud. Bye. And just left. And so Jerry went back downstairs, uh, dressed Slauson's body in different, different female undergarments. He posed her. Um, put shoes on her that he had stolen, arranged her body in different provocative poses. Uh, Because he had no camera to take pictures at this point, which was part of his thing, he did the next best thing he could think of and used a hacksaw to cut off her left foot, which he kept in the freezer and used to model his collection of high-heeled shoes for like a couple weeks. He... After he did all of that, he disposed of the body in the Willamette River by tying her body with nylon rope to a part of a car engine. So what's different about him is he didn't stalk his prey. He was an opportunistic killer who took what looked convenient and good at the time. He liked killing, but killing wasn't his ultimate goal. Killing wasn't his MO. Um, It was to get off on the shoes, the female clothes, and having sex with a corpse. Killing was just the avenue to get to take to his ultimate destination. So after this first murder, he now knew how he wanted to operate this murder slash pleasure operation. So he transformed his garage into his own special area where his wife was not allowed or his kids. She had to communicate with him via intercom. He set up an intercom system. She had to communicate with him via intercom if she needed anything and the garage was padlocked shut. So Darcy was told by him that he set up a dark room for photo development and she was like, okay, yeah, that makes total sense that this man is all of a sudden doing photo development in a red room in our garage. She's just like, okay. <laughs> yep. So the second victim was Jan Susan Whitney. She was 23. She was in her car and her car broke down on the side of Interstate 5 between Salem and Albany, Oregon on Michigan, Oregon. <laughs> Uh, Albany, Oregon on November 26th, 1968 Jerry offered to drive her um, to his house with the excuse of letting her call a pickup truck he saw her on the side of the road so this was another opportunistic killing while still in the car with him he strangled her with a leather strap and raced her uh, sorry and raped her post-mortem He then transferred the body to a garage and kept her hanging from a pulley hook in his garage for several days, during which he dressed her, had sex with her, and photographed her body. So how he would do the pulley hook, he would wrap the noose around their neck, slowly pull the pulley hook so that she was slowly being dragged up and their toes would just barely be touching the ground. So it was a very slow, painful death. Oh, wow. Yep. This time... Jerry decided to cut off one of her breasts as she was dead and fill it with sawdust and tried to mount it on the wall because he was trying to taxidermy her tit. Okay. 
However, he huh. wasn't very good at taxidermy. <laughs> and Darcy ended up finding the boob along with pictures of the first murder, by the way. And Darcy uh. didn't do anything. He told her that what? the pictures were, because the pictures were of this dead woman with no, like, cuts or marks or anything on her, posed in promiscuous poses. She thought this was a live woman, Darcy did, in these pictures. And as a boob, she was just like, okay, yeah, he's, like, experimenting with stuff, whatever. He told her it was a paperweight that he was trying to make, this, this sawdust-filled tit. She said, it's a paperweight, I'm just experimenting. And she's like, okay. Wait, uh, <laughs> where did she think that he got that from? I have no idea. And I'm assuming it like, had to have resembled a boob, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, there's a nipple. He didn't cut the nipples off. He liked the nipples. I have no uh, words. Okay. Yeah. Huh. So he told her that the pictures were from a college student he was working with, and those pictures were the students that he had developed in his darkroom. And, yeah, he was trying to make a paperweight by playing around with different materials, which was his explanation for the boob. So while this body was hanging in the garage for five days, boobs chopped off, so there's exposed innards, um, Jerry decided yeah, to take his family out for vacation over the weekend. And just <laughs> by freak accident, a motorist slammed, his, slammed their vehicle into Jerry's house and the side of his garage, which almost revealed the body. So at this point, there definitely would have been decomp smell from the body. But for some reason, the police officers who were at the scene of this accident and the individual who ran into his house didn't smell a thing. And if they did, they didn't think anything of it. They like poked their head into the side of the garage that was bashed open because it wasn't like a full hole in the garage. It was just like a slice of it. They poked their head in there, didn't see anyone, didn't see anything, realized that the people were... Um, not home the police officer left their card with their phone number on on the card in like their door you know like their door mm -hmm. slip and told them hey this is what happened call me and the brutuses ended up calling the family and the police officer didn't do any investigation into the garage or anything because jerry wasn't the person at fault here so nothing like nothing was discovered while there was a body hanging in his garage like, that could have wow. broke open this entire case, and nothing yeah. happened. And how they didn't smell the decomp smell, I don't understand, because I was listening to a podcast on this, um, trying to, like, I, I don't know if it was on this particular case, but it was on the on a case about decomp smell. And mm -hmm. what they described it is, you we smell coffee, like we know what coffee smell like smells like. So if you go away to a place where there's no coffee smell for an entire year, when you come back to where there's a place where there's a smell of coffee, like if you were living in the jungle for a year and never smelled coffee and came back to home and smelled coffee, you would instantly know that it, that is coffee. Like you would know that smell immediately. That's like right. how they describe decomp is like you know it immediately. Even if you've never smelled it, you know it because it sticks out like a sore thumb. Yes. They had to have smelled something. And they're it, it in the Pacific Northwest. Because... Everything's damp. Right. So, like, you... Okay. Have have you ever smelled a dead mouse? No, but I've smelled, like, dead, like a, a dead animals. Yeah. So, like, okay, like a dead, dead mouse or something, that stinks to high heaven. And it's, like, an inch and a half big. Yeah. How did they not smell a rotting 
hundred pound body. I have no clue. No clue. Like this whole there's like lives could have been saved if they would have like noticed the smell. Or what the hell? Or did something about the smell if they did notice it. So when Jerry's family arrived home from their vacation, uh, he tied the body, her body, to a railroad iron and threw her off the Willamette, um, threw her into the Willamette River along with Slauson's foot because it was rotted out at that point. Um, Karen Sprinkler is the next victim. She was 19. She was abducted at gunpoint from a car outside of a department store on March 27th, 1969. So Jerry was dressed in women's clothing during this attack. An onlooker had gone on to say that they saw a very large woman with freckles fiddling with her clothing. And that was Jerry um, during this whole situation. He abducted Sprinkler, brought her to his garage, made her try on his collection of women's undergarments and posed while he pictured with her or while he took photographs of her. So she, she was alive during this photograph session. He Mm -hmm. then raped her and then strangled her body um, by hanging her from the neck in a pulley and letting her feet barely touch the ground. He then went into his house, had some lunch, and watched cartoons while she slowly hung there to die. When he came back into the garage after lunch and a cartoon, she was dead. He had sex with the body on several occasions and then cut off her breasts as well. And this time he used resin to make plastic molds of her boobs and turn them into paperweights, which he actually put on display in the home. He, like, used these these plastic boobs on, like, in his house for paperweights. Afterwards, he tied the body to a six-cylinder car engine with, ni- with more nylon cord and threw her body into the river. So, the fourth person is Sharon Wood. She was 24. He attempted to abduct her at gunpoint from the basement floor of a car parked in Portland on April 21st, 1969. She was actually there to meet her soon-to-be ex-husband um, to talk about their divorce. So she was already, like, amped up and high on adrenaline at this point because that is not a fun thing to do. She heard footsteps behind her and soon felt someone tap on her shoulder. She looked and she saw Jerry looking her dead in the eyes with a gun pointed at her. And Jerry likes to tell these women when he approaches them that if they scream, they would get hurt. But if they're silent, they won't get hurt. Well, Sharon Wood was the first woman to actually scream and she started fighting and beating him and like really fighting for her life. Um, And she later said that she was just amped up full on adrenaline because she was there for a divorce. And then this like random man comes up behind her and she's like, you got to be fucking kidding me and just fought. So Mm -hmm. she... um, she just snapped and Brutus tried to put his hand over her mouth. She was smart and she bit down as hard as she could. He tried mm-hmm. to put her, his other hand on the back of her head and slam her down onto the pave, pavement, but he couldn't because she was wiggling and fighting too much. And they were there long enough for a car to see what was going on and see this woman struggling. So Jerry got scared, backed off, and ran away. The police were called and when asked to describe the attacker... She said he was big, red, and freckled. <laughs> yep. Um, and then on April 22nd, 1969, he attempted to abduct a 15-year-old girl named Gloria Jean Smith. She got away as well. She gave the same description. He was big, red, and freckled. 
Mm -hmm. And so throughout all of this, there are people who uh, the cops were searching very diligently for who this was. There were a lot of people coming on out and saying, okay, this person was abducted from this place at this time. Did you see anyone suspicious? And there were a lot of people saying they saw a really big man who was like red hair, freckled, or a really big woman standing there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the last woman is Linda Salih. She was 22. She was abducted from a shopping mall, um, a shopping mall car parking lot on April 23rd, 1969. This time, Jerry was disguised as a police officer. So bringing up old habits, I guess. He walked up to her, flashed her a badge, and told her that she matched the description of a suspect for a string of burglaries happening in the mall, like at this point. Jerry brought her, put her in the car, brought her to his garage, tied her up, and then went to go eat dinner. When he returned to the garage, he found that she had actually broken free from her restraints. But instead of escaping or using the phone that was in the garage to call for help, she just sat there in the garage, huddled up in a ball. Which seems crazy to us that they would just sit there and not escape, but it's actually a really common reaction to people who are kidnapped, especially with certain personality personality types. Um, The response is called frozen fright, where... Uh They just feel like there's no hope or they're too scared to escape or they're not confident enough to escape. There are a lot of reasons, but yeah, it's called frozen fright and she just didn't move. So he saw her sitting there in a pile of terrifying person and he loved this. She was just sitting there scared. He likely felt that she was being submissive to him on purpose and that he had complete control over her. So he picked her up, tied her up, slowly strangled her like he did the others. He then had sex with her dead body again. He decided to not cut her breasts off at this point because they were quote too pink. He said that her nipples were not dark like he liked them and like he thought that they should be. He then attempted to make molds of her breasts while they were still on her, but that failed. Instead, he kept her on the hook, uh, like he did the others, and he took he took hypodermic needles, shoved them into her ribs, and drove electrical currents through the body in an attempt to make her corpse, quote, dance or jump like a fish out of water, which failed. He wanted to see her body jiggle and dance from the electrical current, but he couldn't get it to work. So after that failed experiment, he tied the body to a car transmission with more nylon cord and threw it in the Willamette River once more. So Linda Slauson and Jan Whitney's bodies were never found. However, during all of these disappearances, sexual assaults and murders, the cops had search parties out looking for the bodies. Um, because they were missing women and they were missing for long enough at this point. They were all assumed dead. Eventually, Linda Sully's body was found by a dad and his son on a fishing trip. And the body of Karen Sprinkler was about 50 feet away from Linda Sully's body. After inspecting the knots around them to tie them to car parts, it was found that these knots were used specifically by individuals who work as electricians and they're known as underwriters knots. So that was really the first big break in this case, like the first clue. Um, eventually, Jerry got very sloppy and very cocky. He started going to Oregon, Michigan. I'm in Michigan, Oregon. He started. 
<laughs> I'm really trying here. Jerry started going to Oregon State University, and um, he would ask young women to go on, on dates with him, like walking around the campus asking. He then would dial random numbers and try and get someone to go on a date with him, hoping that a girl would answer and try and get him to go on a date. So That's weird. Right? It's fucking weird and desperate, <laughs> you know? It's just, yeah. he is just on another level. So in person or on the phone, he would sweet talk these women, tell them that he was former military, ask them out to have a drink, have some conversation. So he, on the phone, he got turned down twice once he like got a hold of someone. But on the phone, he got a hold of someone the third time and apparently that was the charm. So the girl agreed to go on a date with him. And on this date, um, the only date that he got, he talked about the murders a lot since it was the hot topic of the city at this point. And he kind of did the old, if I did it, this is what I would have done on this date. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a red flag. <laughs> yeah, he was red flag. So he started off the date by asking the girl how she knew he wasn't going to strangle her and take her to the river like the other girls. And then he said, think of something sad. Think about the two girls that were killed. Isn't that sad? Now think about something else sad. Like that's a direct quote. He finally yeah. asked the girl why she wanted to be raped like the other girls. And it ended up with him saying he needed to go work on a car engine. So everything that he was saying was in somehow related to the murders and somehow related to what he thought was going on in the media. And the girl immediately went home, called the police, and the sexual assaults and the rapes that occurred were never portrayed in the media. Those were something that the cops had held to themselves. So the fact that he mentioned being raped like the other girls, that was like a red flag to the police. Like, okay, the, the public doesn't know about that, but this guy knows yeah. about that. So the police ended up looking into the situation and um, looking into all of the other accounts. And it turns out this is all the same person, big red and freckled creep. So Jerry ended up calling the girl back for a second date a few weeks later. And the police told the girl, if, if this person calls back, you need to call us immediately. So, and there was no call waiting back then. And she never got his phone number. So it was really a waiting game for everyone involved. Um, but he did call back and she agreed to go on a date once more. She said, yeah, dude, I'll meet you in an hour. So after she got off the phone, said, I'll meet you in an hour. She called the police right away, said, he's going to be here. He's picking me up. So the police went to her dorm. And so Jerry, when Jerry got to the building, he was waiting downstairs in her dorm, just like sitting on a bench or whatever, just waiting for her in the waiting area. And the police came up to him and he didn't react to the police at all when they approached him. He was sitting in the lobby and they came up basically saying that they were canvassing the neighborhood, asking about the missing and murdered women and about the creep that was lurking through the neighborhood by these dorms by the women. Uh, Jerry said that he was an electrician in town, just mind his own, minding his own business, doing some work. The police got his name and address and while trying to be calm and cool, he just got up and he left the building. The police, since he gave his address, the police showed up to his house and he said that he'd been living there for a long time. He said that he drove, um, he told them like where he drove for work and everything. And they were like, 
in their minds. They're like, yeah, you're driving on the same road where Jan Whitney's car was found. He lived only a few miles from the place in the river where the bodies were dumped, and he only lived a few miles from where um, Karen Sprinkler was abducted. Also, another thing that wasn't let out to the public was the type of knots used in the killings and that they were specific to electricians, and he had shared with the cops that he was an electrician. Mm-hmm. So he matched the description that everyone, women and onlookers, have been consistently giving to the police. He was in a central location. He was an electrician. But all of this was circumstantial evidence. Then the police got to search his garage. The cops saw the wires tied in underwriter's knots. And a cop ended up, like, secretly, like, snipping part of the rope and sliding it into his pocket while no one was looking. And then they discovered an unreasonable amount unreasonable amount of nylon rope and jerry said yeah take some with go ahead here's a chunk of it and jerry handed them a chunk of the nylon rope that he had used to strangle and tie car parts to these women so finally after all of this the police are like we have a lot of evidence but we need a witness so the police got a positive id on jerry from a 12 year old girl that he had attempted to abduct a couple months earlier and all of this was enough to eventually issue an arrest for jerry on may 30th 1969 as him and his family were driving with all of the all of their bags packed to the canadian border so darcy was driving at the time and jerry was sleeping and they arrested him they woke him up and arrested him like that's how he was awoken from this situation he was being arrested (laughs) so they took him got him in custody and he was questioned for about two hours and he sang like a fucking canary he confessed to everything he then called darcy because you get a phone call apparently he called darcy and told her to burn all of the clothes that he had kept from women and all of the pictures that he had taken over the years she had no fucking clue what he was talking about because she wasn't allowed in the attic either she wasn't allowed in the attic or the garage the garage was where he did the murders the attic was where he stored all of his trophies so she went up to the attic saw all of this stuff went into the garage saw all of this stuff and was obviously pretty fucking shocked And she ended up burning some of it, but not all of it. She did not burn the most incriminating pieces of evidence. Um, The most incriminating picture was a picture of Jerry that he had taken with a mirror on the ground, on the ground, under the skirt of one of the victims as the victim was hanging in the air on that pulley, likely dead. And his face was showing in the mirror. So he was upskirting her. And then his face was in the mirror with it. After all of that, Jerry ended up pleading guilty to three of the four murders. I'm not sure why he didn't plead guilty to the fourth one. Um, He was sentenced to three life terms in prison. Darcy was also charged as an accessory in the murder of Karen Sprinkler. However, after seven hours of deliberation, the jury found her not guilty. Well, was she at least charged with destroying evidence? She was charged with nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And I'm not sure if Darcy <laughs> was complicit in all of this or if she was just so fucking dumb that she had truly no idea what was going on or if she, like we discussed, she had definite um, self-esteem issues. She was married very young. She was very submissive, probably couldn't think for herself. I'm not sure what her relationship was like with the men in her f- family. I'm not sure if she was like brainwashed by Jerry because she um, was married and maybe easily persuaded. I'm sure it's a combination of all of, the, of all of those things. 
she definitely had the capability of saving lives and she chose to turn her head the other way. So I think that she should have been in prison as well. Mm-hmm. I think she's a fucking idiot who should be in prison and should not be allowed to have her kids. Hot take. Yeah, for Hot yeah. take. Yeah. Um, but Darcy and the kids, uh, they ended up changing their names. They moved away from Salem, uh, Oregon. And Jerry was not liked in prison at all by the other inmates. He was actually sodomized six months into his prison sentence. But the guards and the staff loved him. He was basically their go-to electrician and IT guy. He hooked up all of their TVs. He set up the computers for them and their record-keeping systems. He was their IT bitch once computers were more mainstream. He also was the maintenance dude for their vending machines. Um, hmm. Finally, he received shoe catalogs in the mail per his own request. And that was the main form of entertainment he got. And that was where a lot of his time spent. That's like porn to him. Like, yeah. Like who allowed that? Who allowed him to get porn in prison? You know? <laughs> you know? So Jerry ended up passing away on March eight or March twenty eighth, two thousand six, at the age of sixty seven from liver cancer in Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem, Oregon, and that is the story of the shoe fetish killer Jerry Brudos. And I feel wow. like the shoe fetish part of it is the least shocking part of the story. I feel like right. you know maybe chopping boobs off, boobs off, necrophilia making plastic molds, taxidermy with sawdust, um, abducting women, panty raiding, collecting trophies. I feel like all of that is a lot worse than being f- having a shoe fetish. Right. I mean... Chopping a foot I off. I enjoy a good shoe. Right. But uh, I wouldn't take it that far. I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I feel like that's the least shocking part of all of this yeah <laughs> um, yeah he is he's kind of i he's kind of considered a heavy hitter but not really but he should be known more because he's fucking creepy and yeah. he was it's a weirdo yeah he was one of the first serial killers that really helped the people who um wrote mindhunter determine okay what makes a serial killer what should be de- what should be categorized as a serial murderer what counts as that and what is sexual deviancy? How does it start? Are serial murders like all based in sexual satisfaction? He was he kind of laid the blueprint for all of that. Because mm-hmm. he they kind of had it all from a very young age. The only thing he didn't have is I don't know if he wet the bed. I don't think he hard an, harmed animals, and I don't think he had a frontal lobe injury. But he definitely had mommy issues, in a troubled childhood. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I hadn't heard of him before. It's a wicked story, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I, I I don't know. I do the gross ones. I do the bad ones. We've established our roles here. <laughs> <laughs> my mom hates my episodes. She much prefers your episodes. She doesn't really comment on my episodes. She only comments on your episodes. <laughs> like she listened to um, the vending machine murders and she loved that episode. Mm-hmm. She didn't say anything about Craigslist killer. Like, <laughs> she doesn't like my episodes. It's okay, Mom. Yeah. We understand. No, that guy was weird, too. God, he was guy. weird, too. Yes. And he, you know what? He had a sexual fetish as well. I mm-hmm. I really picked two in a row that are quite fucked up. 
<laughs> Whatever. I like them. It's my podcast. I like them. Um, so yeah, if you guys like what you are hearing, again, go ahead and give us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Hit subscribe on Spotify or wherever you like to listen. We release new episodes every Thursday with the exception of our summer break. That's going to be coming up here um, end of August, early September. And we appreciate you listening. And Bree, got anything else to say? Um, No, I sure don't. Oh, I sure don't. Okay, well, you guys, we will chat with you next Thursday. Bye, everyone. Bye, Stranglers.